Hello everyone, this is Alex Trumbull from The Alex Trumbull Show, and look, are you ready? No, no, seriously, I want you to ask yourself, are you ready? Are you ready for a great, engaging, fun conversation? If you're ready, then let's go, and if you're not ready, let's let's, let's go and push pause, rewind it, and start back over so you are, you are pumped, you're pumped and ready to go as I am and as my guest today is and was when we recorded. It's going to be a great conversation. Today, I have my friend, August ball with us and she is just a phenomenal phenomenal individual um so as some of you may know if you again if you're following me on linkedin.com that's linkedin.com forward slash alex trumbull not only am i a professional speaker not only do i do workshops not only do i have a podcast and the youtube channel again youtube.com forward slash alex trumbull but I am also an executive at one of the largest national conservation corps in the country, American Conservation Experience. So in, in that role, I serve as the chief culture officer. And as some of you may know, there's so much that falls under that, whether it be uh, employee engagement, training, communications, um, diversity initiatives. There's just so much that goes into that role. And in that role, I had the honor, the privilege to meet with and work with this phenomenal individual, August Ball. See, August Ball serves as the CEO of the Cream City Conservation and Consulting Firm. And and what she does is she does, again, really cool stuff. She actually has a nonprofit organization that that does consulting on JEDI work, which is justice, equity, diversity, inclusion. And what they do is from the proceeds of those engagements, they then go back and hire youth and individuals from underrepresented communities into their conservation corps and provide them with employment and job skill building opportunities. That's just freaking awesome. (laughs) So we're going to have a really great conversation. Um, Yes, we're definitely going to, of course, talk about some Jedi work, but I'm going to actually Stop it there, because what you're going to hear in this conversation, I promise you, you're going to find valuable. But I don't, I don't want to tilt my hand too much. I need you to be a little, you know, a little suspenseful. So, look, as always, if you're loving these podcasts, don't just stay here. Visit us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Alex Trumbull, where I not only provide snippets and some of these full interviews where you can see it, but I also provide a large number of micro learnings, which are five, six minutes long, just again, focused on helping you reach your goals, focused on motivating, inspiring you and very, some very technical skills you can use to build relationships and further your leadership development skills. Um, but not only should you be visiting YouTube, again, push that subscribe button, but you should also be joining me and us and following and reaching out to me on LinkedIn. That's linkedin.com forward slash Alex Trumbull. That is the place where I can hear and communicate and have conversation with you. So please, please, please find me on LinkedIn. Tell me what you're like and what I could do better what guests you believe I should have on. Again, I got some really awesome guests coming up, um, but you know, it's so cool because so many of my guests have come from individuals such as yourself who's listening to this and saying, you know what? That was a great conversation. I love to hear such and such as um, point on this, such and such as perspective on this topic. And they reach out to me and they'll tell me that person's name and I'll reach out to them. And you know, more often than not, people say yes. So please, please, please feel free to reach out to me without any further ado, my friend, August Ball. Hello, everyone. This is Alex Trimble from the Alex Trimble Show. And today I have my good friend with me, Miss August Ball. How are you doing, madam? I am doing wonderful, Alex. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Well, you're one, you're very welcome. Um, and two, for those of you who are watching this via YouTube, um, I am not sure if I should have invited you on my show, actually, because your background looks so much better than mine. And I, <laughs> I feel like I should just use one of those virtual things. Um, but we'll, we'll leave it there, though. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I come from a long line of artists, so that's probably what it is. But you'd be amazed what a, what a black wall and some plants can do. <laughs> well, everyone, she's giving us hints. We should just get a, a block wall and some plants. <laughs> so I, I have to say, I've been looking really, I've been looking forward to having this conversation. Um, one of the benefits of 
being a content creator, having your own space and being a leader in that space is that you can choose who you talk to. And because you and I had some very interesting conversations um, prior to in the work we do in our in, in your day job, which we'll really quickly speak about, um, you know, I, I love the way you think and I love the way you think about relationships with individuals and the complexity that can be within those relationships. So let me, let me stop teasing everyone. Um, we'd like to say a little bit about what you do and where your, where your working space is right now. Absolutely. Well, I am currently on the uh, ancestral lands of the Potawatomi and Menominee Nation. My name is August Ball. I am the founder and CEO of Cream City Conservation and Consulting, which is a two-pronged social enterprise that uh, works with environmental organizations, non-for-profits and government entities, uh, helping them develop the cultures and practices necessary to attract and retain a diverse and dynamic talent pool. Uh, And then we take the profits from that work and provide paid training and employment experiences for young adults, predominantly of color, right here in Milwaukee City. And we do significant hands-on service to public lands with our local county parks department, the DNR, as well as the U.S. Forest Service. So the question I wanted to dig into first is culture. Mm. Culture of an organization, which is, it's it's a word that a lot of people have been speaking a lot about recently, um, but it's such a big, complex thing. And so I guess my, my first question will just start off is, how do you go about, one, assessing the culture of your organization, but two, changing the culture of an organization? Those are great questions. Well, I'd like to start off by just outlining the reality that culture gets set extremely fast. And culture is not unique to business. It Culture happens in a family unit. Culture happens in a friend group setting. Culture is simply a system, right? It's a process and a way of being together that everyone kind of agrees to consciously or unconsciously. And so the more unconscious we are of how our culture is developing, the more likely we are that that culture might manifest some components that are not always going to be the most helpful. Sometimes it can be, it can, it can manifest organically and be a really positive thing. In business, however, it all comes down to expectations. And so I, I firmly believe that the worst behavior, the worst culture that occurs in an organization is the one that is tolerated. And so, Most people think that, well, if we just establish policies, everyone will follow them and that will inform culture. I think by now we're realizing that is so far from the truth. In fact, uh, I think it was Simon Sinek that said uh, uh, (laughs) culture eats eats policy for breakfast, Mm -hmm, maybe mm -hmm. with someone else. But and I find that to be so true. You know, I I use the example of a time when when uh, I was going into office buildings uh, to, to, you know, in, do an initial evaluation of an organization. And I, I saw the sign on this beautiful glass door to their a lunchroom, I guess it was. And it said, keep this door closed at all times. <laughs> I was working with this, this organization for about four weeks, come, going into the office every day. That door was never closed. That door was always propped open with a plant, someone's book, um, <laughs> a cloth. In between. You know, mm-hmm. you had to have a key card to get in. And so I don't know what the deal was with the key cards or either way, the culture was absolutely that that door was yeah. kept propped open yeah. despite the policy of keeping it closed. So that's very indicative of how um, our, our workplaces start to, to become. And I like to think of, of this as an approach as though we are educators, right? Thinking in terms of what is the end result that we are trying to manifest here? How do we want our team members to feel every day? And and why are those feelings important to overall production and overall um, existence? 
So if you think I want my I want my team members, I want my colleagues, I want my staff to feel valued. I want them to feel uh, innovative. I want them to feel uh, uh, celebrated. Right? What needs to happen? in order for that to be the case and in order to leverage those things, right? So it's, it really comes down to what's our desired future state? What is the culture necessary to produce that? And how do we maintain that across the board? Because some organizations have great culture and when everything is going well, right? Like it's easy to be collaborative mm-hmm. when everyone mm-hmm. agrees with you, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And then the moment someone doesn't agree with you, well now, especially if you're the leader, we well, just get rid of them. Right. Right. You just get rid That's of them the or you just bulldoze over them, you know, proverbially, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, to me, culture is about expectation and everyone understanding the goals of, of why that expectation is put into place. Because sometimes you might outgrow a particular expectation, right? Or, or that expectation no longer serves the end goal. It doesn't produce the end goal anymore and you need to shift. So, well, you know, as we talk about this culture and and, there, and and creating a space where everyone feels, you know, welcome, valued, and so on and so forth, what do you do when someone's, because feelings are, feelings are subjective. Um, and what if one groups of people's feelings are that we need to do one way and the, another group says we need to do another way? Um, at that point, you now have a riff in your organization. How, how do you work? through that? Mm -hmm. So I believe that while we are not responsible necessarily for each individual's feelings, we are responsible for the energy we bring into a space, the energy we create. So for example, um, if, if my goal is to ensure that everyone understands why it's important that we have various perspectives at the table and that we're leveraging those to create value. This means that we also have to make sure that we don't tolerate, for example, intolerance, right? So so being inclusive doesn't automatically mean that, yes, we are going to be totally okay with, you know, bringing in people who think that women you know, don't belong in the workplace, that their role is purely to produce children and sit at home. Uh, you know, like it, it's not about engaging everyone. It's about engaging everyone in an equitable way that's going to help you reach your overarching goals. And so, for example, someone might, one group of folks might say, well, we think we should go this way. And another, to your point, thinks they should go in a different direction. If there's common understanding and language about where the destination is, then you can at least have a more informed dialogue about what is it about your particular trail <laughs> that you think is going to get us there? What And what are some hiccups about this particular trail <laughs> uh, that you think are problematic that might not get us to that destination? But what I find is that sometimes not everyone is on the same page about where they're even going, mm. right? Like some, mm-hmm. for example, someone might say, well, we have a problem, we need to solve it. And another person is saying, no, we don't. <laughs> We see that right now with climate change, right? Of course, we're not going to be able to come together and actually solve for this climate crisis if, you know, 40% of the population, I'm making up a number, but is in denial that we even have a problem to begin with. So that's what I would say. Um, Taking ownership for the energy created, right? Which means if if your staff, if your team members are feeling fearful about voicing a contrary opinion as the leader, that's my bad, right? As the leader, I created that or I allowed that to be created. That means it's my job to fix it. Uh, And that takes time, right? Because fear doesn't come up all on its own. Uh, But if, if there's simply an issue of discontent or someone's not feeling like they're valued or uh, maybe they took offense to a particular project, Again, that comes down to getting everyone back on the same page of where we're headed and empowering people to take ownership of their own feelings. Like, okay, am I feeling a certain type of way because of issues that have nothing to do with what's going on at work? Uh, or am I, you know, internalizing what's happening in the workplace? And, and so, you know, there's a, there's a few different ways to, to look at it. This is also why constant communication is so important as well. Uh, we have to tell people things multiple times 
in multiple ways, right? Whether it's via email, verbally, face-to-face, to make sure everyone understands and giving space for folks to talk back and, and, and re- reiterate, what did you hear, right? Because often, us as humans, mm-hmm. when, we, when we don't feel like we have enough information, we're really great at plugging in our own assumptions, yep. <laughs> <laughs> right? And that can be really problematic sometimes. So, so the, the, the question I have is when we talk about communicating, we talk about, you know, finding this, this middle ground, at least have some, some base information to work from. Um, this may be weird. This may be wrong. I don't think it's wrong. Um, we don't, I don't know if we have base information to work from nowadays, right? I think we, we used to be able to say, well, look, there's research stating this. Um, this is the facts. Um, but in today's society, I feel like it's extremely easy for anyone to find data or quote unquote research on anything, whether how doesn't matter how wrong it may be. Um, they can find something and say, well, I believe this. You believe yours. I believe mine. So now we're still at a, at a disconnect. How, 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 would you, how do you deal in, a, in, a, in an environment where, you, where we can't always even find, agree on the data? right? Mm. It's the data. Well, I would argue that the issue is not so much the data, but rather media literacy, right? Because we are living in an information age and anyone can throw up a website and call it, you know, thebestnews.com and put up some bogus, you know, information. Mm -hmm. And because I searched for a particular you know, a particular piece of information, right? What we search for, we find. So I find that and all of a sudden, I don't even check to see if this is a reputable source. Do I even know how to evaluate if something is a reputable source? And in truth, we also have the realities that most of our mainstream communication is controlled by, you know, the same entities. Mm -hmm, But there mm -hmm. are there are absolute like scientific processes of, of research. Uh, there's certain methodologies that that researchers are are held to and, and they're standardized. So if you're aware of that, if you have media literacy, then you can evaluate whether or not that data uh, is actually reputable or not. Um, you know, the, the numbers are what they are typically. It's usually the interpretation, you know, of them, right? So for example, two thirds of, uh, you know, people who are incarcerated are black and Latinx. Now someone can take that data and say, oh, well, th- that's the demographic that creates the most crime, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And, and there are many people who do believe that. Yeah. Uh, and then you have other folks that will say, that logically doesn't make sense that, it, that an entire like ethnic and racial category of people <laughs> would just be mm-hmm. prone to like criminal activity. Like yeah. logically that doesn't check out, right? And so then they might decide, let me look further into this and see what kind of policies have contributed to uh, over-policing in certain neighborhoods or uh, is there any inequities in terms of sentencing, <laughs> you know, between the races and genders? Um, they might look at, you know, folks call it social determinants of health. You know, I refer to it as political determinants of health because these are all directly traced back to public policy. Uh, but so so someone who is really interested in critical thinking, I would argue, would, would look a bit deeper than that rather than just excusing, oh, well, that's just... <laughs> That's just how that demographic is. And yet we see this happening in the workplace as well when it comes to diversifying our, our talent pool and diversifying our workforce. We, we, some folks will say, well, we put, the, we put the ad out there. This is the only demographic we got. Therefore, only this demographic is interested in working for us. And to that, I say absolute garbage <laughs> and, these are, and these are not necessarily dumb people like they're t- no. really smart and powerful positions who believe yeah. this so. yeah oh and that's the interesting part too right so so i i happen to know folks you know just anecdotally who have master's degrees in american history and yet have never heard of black codes right they know about jim crow but they never heard of black mm-hmm. codes right so, mm-hmm. so then it begs the question of who's controlling our education system yeah. Who decides what goes into our curriculum, right? So, oh, it's it's layered. Right? <laughs> it's a very layered component. Mm-hmm. To me, it comes down to 
how how much accountability are we taking for our own education? How much yeah. accountability are we taking for progress? Or are we just kind of letting the chips fall where they may because we don't really want to put in any extra effort? And if we don't want to put in any extra effort, why is that? Do we not see the value in doing the homework? Um, yeah. Do we not think it's possible? I mean, again, that could be different for different people. But I think we the question to me sometimes is more important than having the answer to, to the wrong question, <laughs> as you've heard me say before. No. no. And, and one thing, you haven't mentioned it yet, but I, I loved in one of our conversations, you brought up the term, um, the importance of justice. And we haven't talked about that yet, but I, I love to just throw it out there and kind of hear your thoughts on it. And then I'm going to go, I'm going to go and left field somewhere right after that. Sure, sure. So, so you know, I, I work in the the space primarily of the within the intersection of racial equity and environmental justice, um, and all within that is wrapped up into human resources, <laughs> right, and people development. When it comes to racial equity, we we cannot continue to develop programs and change policy without accounting for past and current inequities, right? We, we cannot, you know, we can't move forward essentially without reconciliation. And reconciliation has yet to happen. It's yet to happen for, uh, for enslaved people and the descendants of enslaved people. It's yet to happen for indigenous nations who continue to uh, be victimized by the social systems at play uh, and, and the way that the laws have been written. So unless we are actually accounting for past and current harms, which to me is part of justice, we are, we are but running in circles, right? And the, and the key fact here too is that it's usually the people who, are, who are, have identities that have been benefiting from social inequity that are very interested in bum-rushing past justice, <laughs> right? They, they are very much so interested in just getting to the kumbaya moment where we can all just get along. We can't all just get along mm -hmm. if some of us aren't eating, right? We yeah, can't yeah. all get along if some of us are still breathing polluted air and drinking polluted water um, or having our water you know, infected, essentially, right? So we can't move forward until until there is justice and until there is reconciliation. Um, so that's my thought on it. So, and this may be not the best example, but it makes me think of what was being discussed. Again, I'm not a policy whiz, everyone knows this, FYI. Um, but what was being discussed on the global level in regards to carbon reduction, um, and you're saying kind of capping everyone. Hey, we got, we got to, we got to save the world. We got to help stop global climate change. Um, so everyone should stop using all this pollution. Right. Um, but at the same time, all of the quote unquote developed countries have made all their money and resources off of using those, those pathways, pollution pathways, whereas some of the developing countries, um, have not been able to utilize that or benefit from that. Um, and so they're behind. So basically, you know, just stopping everyone where they are right now and saying, okay, everyone let's playing field, let's do, you know, playing field, let's all stop. That's not necessarily just to the other groups who have not benefited from being able to utilize those resources. And again, if you're an expert in this stuff and you're gonna say, Alex, that's not actually how it works. I understand, but this is my example. Is that, is that similar? Thank you for tuning in to The Alex Tremble Show. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. The results are in. Research has found that networking is one of the four skills absolutely required to successfully advance in your career. However, when asked, most government employees state that they don't network because they believe that networking is for extroverts and for people who care more about their own careers than the organization's mission. But what if there was a way to ethically network without looking self-absorbed and being a super extrovert? Well, there is. Alex Tremble has created a seven-week online networking course specifically designed to give ambitious leaders like yourself the skills needed to become a strategic networker. This course 
uses time-tested and research-backed strategies to help you identify, build, and maintain critical relationships with influential leaders. Visit alextremble.com slash courses slash networking to learn more about his networking model today. Use the discount code PODCASTFAMILY on the checkout screen to receive a 20% discount. Don't delay. Enroll today at alextremble.com slash courses slash networking. Federal open season is over, but you can apply for WEPA life insurance year-round. WEPA has been insuring the future of federal employees for more than 75 years. WEPA can be used as a supplement or a replacement for Fegley and can cost less. Last year, members who switched saved $375 on average. Apply for WEPA Group Term Life Insurance and see how much you could save by visiting WAEPA.org today. And now back to The Alex Tremble Show with your host, Alex Tremble. So, well, first I would say, I would even argue that it's not so much that uh, other countries haven't been able to benefit from the extraction of our natural resources. Uh, it's actually been that they have been, um, uh, those countries have actually mm -hmm. been marginalized mm -hmm. and have been uh, um, yeah. extracted from, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So some of the some of the, the 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 poorest nations in the world are so because you know these these quote unquote developed nations have gone in and stolen <laughs> their natural resources um, and have yeah. essentially kept them in 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 servitude. So I also you know as a as a social entrepreneur, I don't believe that the only way to make money is by being extractive and by um, causing harm to people on the planet. I absolutely believe that you can make a living. Uh, like there, we, we know that there is enough for everyone on this planet, right? Like nature has done a really great job. Nature does a really good job of healing itself. It does a really good job of um, you know, taking care of, of its inhabitants. Unfortunately, us humans, not so much, right? Like we, there's enough for us all, but not enough for our greed. I'm sure many of you and your listeners have heard this saying before, and it's so very true. The amount of gross wealth that, you know, individuals like Jeff Bezos and um, uh, uh, what's uh, Richard, is it Branson? The, um, mm -hmm. the I, so. I mean, yeah. it's, and again, cool for them. They were able to, you know, corner a market. Um, but if you look at some of their policies, they've even done some things that are quite ethically questionable um, in terms of, you know, stealing uh, products from, you know, like with Jeff Bezos and Amazon, you know, oh, come on, sell on, on my site. And then basically prohibiting the, the seller from selling their items. And then they go and sell their own Amazon branded item because mm -hmm. it's doing so well. You know, there's so... <sighs> The, the amount of wealth, so to me, it's, it's proof that there is absolutely no reason that anyone on this planet should be starving, that anyone on this planet should not have access to clean drinking water. Uh, and it's a direct result of how policy and law is written, right? So for example, um, if I own property, right, I don't pay any income taxes on the rental incomes from my property but I do pay income taxes on the work I, I run as a consultant, for example, right? So who made that law? You know, like who benefits from that? And, we, and if we look back at who yeah. has had access to own property, yeah, property. Yeah. Land, right? mm -hmm. of course they made that law that you don't have to pay income taxes on yeah. rental income, <laughs> right? Uh, and, and how do most Americans get their wealth or have gotten their wealth? Property. Not everyone has had asked, has has had equal access mm -hmm. to property. In fact, we're only about fifty years in to to you know liberation for for people of color to be able to purchase property wherever they want, and that's even, I mean, legally there's still <laughs> there's still some loopholes where where predatory lending is happening and 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 whatnot. But to get back to your question, um, I it's it's really going to take a rethinking of. Um, the, the system of capitalism and, and a rethinking of how we do business. You know, capitalism says that we have to burn off our crops 
um, rather than use it to feed people because we need to keep the price at a certain mark, right? What does that say about us as, as, as human beings, as, as a collective, as a collective of, of what I'd like to believe is our empathetic, intelligent people that we would rather people starve than lose profit margin. So I, I think we have a lot of soul searching to do, quite frankly. Um, and rather like some of that energy that we spend trying to extract all the profits, I wonder how far we would come if we actually thought about how do we create value in, yeah. in this world? Yeah. I heard someone the other day saying uh, the best country, shifting from a mindset from the trying to become the best country, the best company in the world to becoming the best company for the world. Mm, um, I love that. Yeah, Absolutely. that was pretty cool. Absolutely. You've heard me say before that, you know, my, my social enterprise is focused on solving a social problem. In order for me to do that and still be aligned with my mission, I have to wake up every day and ask myself, what needs to happen in the world in how I do business for what I do to no longer be needed, right? And, and that has to come from a place of knowing that there are other things I can do with my time, right? Like when I'm, you know, I just turned 39. When I turned 55, if I'm still <laughs> talking about this, if I see no progress with any of my clients, and, and not that I'm saying it's all on my shoulders, we, we need a collective, obviously. But I would like to be talking about something else, <laughs> Like, I, I, I always say no one is more tired of talking about systemic racism than racialized people. No one is more tired about having conversations and panels about sexism and ableism and elitism than, than folks who are impacted by the, that injustice. So we have to believe that a different world is possible uh, and that there will be other needs that will come up, right? Um, because if we're not looking at, and this is my same, my same kind of beef, if you will, uh, with, with some of the some nonprofit entities where are we actually trying to solve the problem or are is, is the goal just to exist forever? Right now. Now, here's the thing. And I want to caveat here is that it, equity isn't a destination, right? Like, well, in a way it is. But once you get there, you don't just like, OK, we're done. We got to the end of the game board. You have to stay there. Right. Which requires that you have ongoing practices and maintaining a culture that keeps you equitable. So so there's that. Um, and we're not there yet. However, I, I just it hurts my, my heart when I when I, you know, talk to some nonprofits and they say, yeah, we, we've been around 150 years and look at this young child, his great grandfather went to our after school programs. And, you know, and I think, how is that success? Yeah. If you're still yeah. serving impoverished people that you're telling me like three generations later, no progress. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I could count that as success, right? Like we don't want, I don't want to be creating a job for myself. I, the goal is to solve the problem, move on to the next, right? For example, um, do you know what March of Dimes used to be? No. What did it used to be? The Polio Association. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So they solved for polio. Yeah. And then they moved on. Oh. To the right? Okay. Isn't that beautiful? Like, yeah. So to me, I'm like, there's, <laughs> unfortunately, there's not a shortage, <laughs> right, of, of issues in the world. Mm -hmm. So like, Let's start solving them and moving along. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Now again, I'm I'm absolutely oversimplifying this, right? But but I do believe it's possible. Well, you know, I again, this is sort of somewhat of a benefit for those who are watching via YouTube right now. Um, but you're talking all this stuff, talking all this stuff about you know this <laughs> this gooey ooey is, is all hug and kumbaya. Let's just do some good work. Let's provide value, um, and and. Um, you are not in rags right now. Um, you seem to be doing pretty okay. Um, so am I to believe that you can do good and not struggle financially? You can, you can have a okay life. Is that, is that, am I to, am I to believe that? So, um, one, I want to address the, the assumption, right. That, um, 
that 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 folks who are wearing a, a nice blazer, a nice suit, or driving a nice car, right? That they are that there's wealth there. Most Americans are one paycheck away from homelessness, right? Uh, absolutely, and that, absolutely. Right? And I would even argue that most folks who actually, you know, are generationally wealthy uh, or who have amassed a certain amount of wealth. Um, most of the time they don't draw a lot of attention to themselves and they're not typically driving like the fanciest car, you know? So, so there's, there's that. I just, just want to highlight that, that that's part of our human nature, right? To make assumptions about folks. You are absolutely right. Yeah. You are ab- but, one ex- absolutely right. <laughs> but to answer your question, sorry, and to answer your question though, I absolutely uh, do not subscribe to the notion that in order to do good in the world, one has to be a martyr. I think that that is that is a very poor um, indication, and it and it tends to create resentment um, to people, right? This and and we see this on many levels. We see this even in the family unit, where one parent decides that to be the best parent, your goal is to self-sacrifice and to to live a life of misery because everything you do is for your child, and you don't do anything for yourself. You don't take care of yourself. Um, and then that child grows up and goes on to have their own life. And now that parent is is resentful mm-hmm. because they were doing all of this because they thought there was going to be a payout at the yeah. end. Whether that payout was my child is now going to be indebted to me forever. They'll take care of me in my old age rather than actually looking at that child like a sovereign being <laughs> and recognizing that mm-hmm. you too as a parent is a sovereign being are a sovereign being. Um and modeling that balance in life, modeling that, yes, it's okay to take care of yourself. It's okay um, to say, today, I need a moment for myself. I, 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 I am going to go for a walk or I'm going to spend, you know, go out for lunch with my girlfriends or whatever it might be um, and show that, that being a parent, for example, is not martyrdom. Being a parent is, is celebrating getting to, to watch a child grow into, you know, their own sovereignness, right? Uh, so I and and to me, like I, I also don't think we need as much money as we think we do, right? To to be you know happy. Mm-hmm. I, I always ask myself um, when I make goals, if no one in the world knew I achieved these goals, would I still want to do them? And when I ask myself that question, more often than not, a lot of those goals get crossed off. <laughs> I'm like. Mm-hmm. Eh. Okay, you know what? Okay, so that's not really for me. So let's take that off. I can save my energy there. That's usually my guiding, my North Star of how I decide how I want to spend my time. Um, So, for example, you know how my my business is ran with the profits from our consulting firm go to support and employ other people. I I know what my lifestyle consists of and what I need. I know I know what I don't need and what's important to me. So I'm, I'm not the type to say. Don't, you know, get rid of your latte, right? If you love your latte, get your, what is it now? Six, $7 latte, buy the latte. If you don't really care about shoes, if you don't care about having a big apartment, a big house, then then like, don't get that, right? Like decide what's most important to you. If you love your Netflix subscription, great. Um, or if you love travel and you're like, you know what? I'm going to live in a studio apartment that costs me. I mean, I'm here in Wisconsin, so rent is fairly affordable. I'm going to spend $600 a month on, on, on a studio and I'm going to take the rest of my money. I'm going to travel with it. I'm going to, I'm not going to eat out at all because to me going, eating out, mm-hmm. you know, in mm-hmm. Ecuador is more important, you know, to me than so, so it's all about us getting really clear on what we want. Um, to me, I also like to be proof that you absolutely can run a profitable business and live comfortably without sacrificing your ethics and without being a martyr. And so that's 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 the intersection that I I work you know fairly hard to stay within. You know, we're we're gonna start wrapping up in just a minute. I know you have so many other things on your plate. So thank you for your time with us. Um, there there is one thing I want to throw by you. Um, this idea of happiness, and I I've read it in a few other books and. I'm not going to say it as, as well as they are the authors articulated it, but they said that we need to be much more comfortable with um, with being content versus being happy. Um, they said that happiness is you generally have happiness to get something, and once you have it for a while, you're like, you're no longer happy with it. It's mm-hmm. like it's just it. And they yeah. said it's Depleting. okay to mm-hmm. be okay. Like it's okay to be good. Um, and if we're always striving for happiness. 
you're always maybe looking for those new shiny objects consistently. And if you don't have all those objects, then now you're going to be sad and depressed and so on and so forth. So I, I just, you know, it, you made me think when you said that happiness component, I'd love to just hear it really quickly. And I know I'm going to open the floor back to you. Um, what are your just reactions to that? Yeah, I think we, we definitely could do a better job societally at getting really clear on our actual emotions uh, because happiness it is absolutely, it's, it's a feeling, right? Much like love, right? We, and, I'll, and I'll, 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 I'll switch over to loved as the example, because let's say, <clears throat> excuse me, you, you get married, you, you fall in love with someone, you get married, um, and then all of a sudden, seven years in, you start to feel, huh, I don't have those butterflies anymore. Like, I'm not excited to see my partner anymore, who I see every day, <laughs> right? Um, I must have chosen wrong. Right? Not and me, so, everyone. My wife, I still get excited if she's listening, by the way. Okay. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Right. And but some people don't. Some people get to the point where they think, oh, the butterflies are now gone. Therefore, I must no longer be in love and I'm going to go find someone else. Uh, and and oh wow, look, the butterflies are back. Yay, this is the person I should be with. And I would argue that like love is also a choice, it's a feeling. But the choice is what's love. Same thing with happiness. Um, I am happy every day, even on my worst days. I'm not happy the entire day. I'm not, you know, I'm not happy every moment of that day, but I feel happiness every day. And one of the reasons that is that is so is I have learned to not um, milk the bad moments. And what I mean by that is uh, <laughs> I... When something knocks me off my equilibrium, whether I have control over it or not, I've learned to ask myself, okay, Augie, are you having a bad day or are you having a bad five moments that you are now dragging out to the whole day, <laughs> right? And sometimes, yeah, yeah. you know, that's modeling that we got from our family, you yeah. know, whoever, we, we develop these kind of habits over time where now we're just in a bad mood all day because somebody cut us off on the street or, mm -hmm. you know, a meeting got moved or whatever it might be. Um, for me, I like to revert back and choose like happiness. Yeah. I, I mean, gosh, for, for me within a, within one year's time, I, I, I personally went through divorce. I, I lost a child. I, or a pregnancy. I, um, I, I survived cancer. Right. And I got to tell you, I really think that it is the, it was, it's the, the mind, not to discredit medicine and, and all that, but I do think our mindset mm -hmm. plays such a bigger role than we give it credit. And not that I don't yeah. do this perfectly because I'm human and I absolutely have, have those days where I am milking that bad five minutes, <laughs> hours, you know, absolutely. But you know, the key is, is, is recognizing it and getting back on track. Um, same thing with purpose. Right. We have so many folks, especially, you know, the millennials and is it the Gen Z's that feel like my work absolutely has to be this fulfilling thing that saves the world and makes me mm -hmm. feel valuable. Mm -hmm. And and maybe right. Like some of us are lucky to find that, but that's not the only way to be. Yeah. There are folks yeah. who their job is just their job and that's totally fine. It helps them provide for their families, for the lifestyle that they want. And the work that they're doing that's leaving an impact on the world has nothing to do with their job. That's also okay. Uh, and I think we need to tell young people that, like, and, and <laughs> you know, but, but make sure that they're aware that, hey, your job might, might, might be the pathway that gets you to your passion. It might not, but also just be mindful that um, it, what you're spending, like your money on, for example, like, is that actually like filling up your cup? Or are you just spending your money on things that are making you feel like you have a sense of belonging with your peer group because everyone else is doing the thing and buying the phone and has the shoes or, you know, is going to this concert. Really being mindful of, am I doing this for me? Um, and is this creating value or am I going along with, with the flow? If you can allow me to break my, my number one cardinal rule, I just need to ask you one last question. <laughs> Two minutes, three minutes. Um, so thank you for all of that. And you, and you, there's a question I've been, it's been on my mind for weeks now, for probably months, as I've been talking to so many different people about this, um, that you kind of just touched upon right now. And 
the the question is resilience surround mm. resilience um i've talked to people in many different sectors including the military um and they they are all telling me the same thing that they don't feel like the most recent generation has as much resilience mm. um they feel like there is yes we need to have a we need to be cognizant of our emotions and our mental health and all those things at the same time going through challenging situations and growing through challenging situations helps you as a person and you learn new and wonderful things you know the the last thing you know the, the oh my god you're going to kill me not kill me not going to like me for uh, is it Simone so Simone um the the gymnast oh Biles yes Simone Biles yes. Mm-hmm. so you know her 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 needing to take a step back yes mm-hmm. she had yes she needed that that space for her her mental her being and she she made the choice that was best for her makes so much sense and i've heard so many people latch onto that say yes see you gotta if, if it's too much you gotta step back and we're like yeah but you know how much she pushed through to even get to that point like she's had to go through a lot to get to that point so i i'd love to get your ideas on you know what are you seeing around the, around resilience nowadays mm-hmm. in the work in the workforce and the younger generation? And then your the how important it is or how should we be building resilience in a mm-hmm. quote unquote safe manner? Mm-hmm. Well, to first touch on the Simone Biles uh, component, I absolutely believe that sometimes you have to slow down to speed up. And our bodies are not machines, right? And sometimes we think, well, I've come this far. Let me just drive this thing into the dirt, right? And I think Simone is a great example of someone who is saying, yes, from an outside point, it looks like I'm here. I'm at I'm at the finish line. Just do the thing, right? Mm-hmm. But that doing the thing might mean that that's the last thing she ever does, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. There are some of us who just pushed you because you're like, you know what? It's finals week. I'm about to be, a, a, you know, a, um, uh, get my PhD or whatever it might be. Um, and they just decide, you know what? I've got two months left in this course. I'm, I can't, if I do this, it will ruin my marriage. If I do this, it will ruin my mental mm-hmm. health. Mm-hmm. If I do this, I will, you know, I, there's no coming back. I can pause now and I can start again later. And yes, I may have to redo the steps, but I, but I won't drive myself into the dirt. Um, and so that's what I have to say about, about that. Um, I absolutely believe that w- when you come to the, the bitter end and you feel like you can't go anymore, rest, but don't quit, right? And resting might mean you don't, you don't get to participate in the final event, right? That doesn't necessarily mean you quit, right? You, the, is the event coming back around again? Is it, then, you, then, hey, <laughs> you, can, you can always go back again and do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of resilience, you know, I will say, you know, I, I can absolutely understand as an elder millennial, uh, the perspective that what's wrong with this Gen Z generation, uh, they need to toughen up. And I also want to remind us that this generation is not only dealing with the realities of climate change, they are also dealing with significant racial unrest. Um, they are finally, like, this is a generation that is asking the really important questions about why, why are two thirds of, <laughs> of our prison system uh, people of color, mm-hmm. right? Why, why is the prison system a billion dollar industry where people who are, are making products for, for three, 39 cents, getting paid 39 cents an hour to dollar 25 mm-hmm. for a company that once they complete their service, their, their, their sentencing couldn't even get a job doing the same thing they were doing. You know, yeah. this generation is asking some very important questions. Mm-hmm. This generation is holding political figures accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, they are leading the way. And I would argue young people have always been on the front lines leading the way. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, yes, to us, it might seem like, oh, there's, you know, these snowflakes. Um, I, w- I invite us to take a step back and think about what what's this generation navigating, right? That that generations prior didn't have to navigate or at least weren't aware that they were even navigating because they didn't have access to all the information that our young people have today. Um, so I think it might be more so a matter of um, 
of information overload and, and not having the skills to process that because we've never had access to this much information before. So I, again, I, I'll, use, I'll use one last analogy. When we look at a pond and we see a bunch of fish belly up, we don't say, hmm, I wonder, I wonder what's wrong with those fish. <laughs> why they why they all die, right? We ask ourselves, what's going on with, with the water? Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. We, we fail to do that, I think, with young people. We fail to do that with when it comes to all sorts of inequalities and and uh, that we're seeing and disparities in representation, right? We 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 put the blame on the fish rather than asking those important mm-hmm. questions about the environment. Yeah. That's oh my, my goodness. Thought. Thank you so much. I, I thank you for allowing me to throw that last question. We are awake. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so I do now want to open the floor to you. Um, is there any last thoughts, ideas, anything you'd like to share with all of our listeners? You know, I, I am such a, a cheerleader for uh, collective action. And to, in, in light of everything we've talked about this, uh, today, I just want to leave your, your listeners uh, with with this, um, and that is to no matter what, never lose sight, and never lose the connection to collective audacity. Right, the moment that we believe the fallacy that we can't create change is when is when <laughs> the problem wins. Right, as long as we believe, you know what, this is a problem but it has a solution. And even if I don't know what the solution is yet, I know that logically a solution exists and I'm going to keep working until I find it. That is going to be our saving grace, right? So whether it's yourself or it's a colleague, a friend or family member who, who, is, who is leaning into the, well, this is just the way the world is, or it's just how stuff is gonna be, please, please do not fall into that trap of thinking maintain that strong collective audacity that we as a people can come together and create change, positive change. Thank you so much, August. This, yeah. this has been just wonderful. It's been just like, again, I, I tell you, I, I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite a while and it is definitely the conversation I was hoping to have. Um, if someone wanted to get in contact with you, how, how would they do so? Oh, absolutely. So they can go on my website, which is creamcityconservation.org, or they can email me at august at creamcityconservation.org. Okay. So it's not Augie, right? So I do go by Augie. I I heard you mention that earlier. (laughs) (laughs) So folks who know me very well. So I always know where people know me from based on what they call me. So most of my (laughs) professional contacts will call me August Marie. Um, Friends who've known me from undergrad will call me Augie. Friends who've known me from way back in the day we'll call me gus actually <laughs> <laughs> so we we gotta come up with a cool name for me to call you maybe right, i'll just call right. you a b there you go <laughs> there you go <laughs> hey well thank you so much for your time and thank you everyone for listening today especially if you've made it this far in, the, in, in this 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 podcast and this interview again i'm sound like a broken record but what do i always say don't just look back reach back if you found something of value today, anything that August shared that, that, that hits your heart, hits your soul, hits your mind at any point, don't keep it to yourself. Don't look at the next person and say, well, they should have been here to listen to it. No, you bring this information to them. You share it with your friends, your family, your colleagues, your supervisor. Don't look back, reach back. As always, stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving. See ya. Thanks for listening. Find us online at thealextrembleshow.com and be sure to share what you've learned with at least one other person today. Check back on the first and third Wednesday of each month for new episodes. Until next time, stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving.